Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. In today's episode, I am sitting down with Dr. Holly Richmond. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, and author of the book, Reclaiming Pleasure, A Sex-Positive Guide to Moving Past Sexual Trauma and Living a Passionate Life. We honestly had such an eye-opening, informative conversation about sexual trauma and her work in this space. She's worked with survivors and helping them move past their trauma and be able to feel safe and enjoy their sexual experiences. I honestly learned so much from her, and I am so excited for this episode. Dr. Holly, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I am really happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Anytime. So I follow you on social media and I've read your book and I have a million questions for you. Um, Other than that, though, I would really love to start out by you just letting everybody know who you are, what it is you do and how you help the people that you work with. Yeah. So I'm Dr. Holly Richmond. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex therapist, and I have a PhD in somatic psychology. And really at my heart, I'm a sexual trauma therapist. And it's, I feel like I always want to say that just so everyone can kind of understand these pieces and how they go together for me. So I didn't feel like I could do trauma therapy unless I studied the body. And I didn't feel like I could really understand the body unless I understood sex. So the licensed and the marriage and family therapy piece really came first, but I did my 3000 hours of internship at a rape crisis center. And then I was like, oh, I know how to treat trauma very well. And I'm seeing so much trauma stored in the body. And so many of the survivors that were coming in were similar to myself. And I didn't have these words when I started, but I'm a somaticizer. So what that means to me is my body will usually have a better idea of what's going on before my brain does. So I lead with my body, you know, the, it's just a barometer for if something's hurting, if something's off. And I see this so often with survivors. And then that last piece, the sex therapy piece, again, I feel like um, previously we've really kind of accepted that it was enough if we healed from our trauma, but I don't feel like we had a great explanation of that. So really my, my niche is recovery of healthy sexuality and great solid relationships. That's amazing because as a a survivor myself, I know how important this is and how healing from trauma itself doesn't actually heal the sexual trauma that you've been through and allow you to live a healthy sexual life. Right. And that, yeah, that was the missing piece. Um, And there are more people looking at this now from different angles, including somatically. So I'm, I'm glad we're here instead of where I was 14, 15 years ago. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what made you want to work in this space? Oh my gosh, it was not a um, conscious decision. It found me. Um, So the first 15 years of my career, so in my 20s and 30s, I worked as a journalist um, for all kinds of magazines. And in the early 2000s, I read a book called True Notebooks by Mark Salzman. And he was teaching creative writing at a boys detention facility in the LA area. And I mean, this is so not me, but I just decided that I was going to do that. So I called like back in the day with the phone, you know, called around girls detention facilities. I was living in the LA area at that time as well. 
And I found one and they were like, so you just want to come in and teach writing? And I said, I do. So I did that um, once a week for about two years with incarcerated girls in Calabasas, California. And as I was there, I just got story after story of sexual trauma. And Jessalyn, I was not looking for this. I was not asking them to write about it. It was just such an integral part of their story and honestly, a part of why they were there and struggling. And it just uh, hit me very clearly. I didn't know what to do with that other than say, this is not okay. How can I help? And you know, the way that it made sense for me to help was go back to school and get my master's in clinical psychology, which led to the Rape Crisis Center, which led to the PhD, which led to the sex therapy certification. Wow, that is amazing. And I love that you're doing this in this space because it's so important to be able to be able to live a healthy life and not feel shame around the subject and feel shame about what you feel and how this trauma has made you react in different situations. And to be able to have a healthy sexual life is so important and critical to having a well-rounded life, which I think as a trauma survivor, you you don't necessarily believe that, right? Like there's so much shame behind it and you feel uncomfortable talking about it. You feel like people see you in a different way. It feels a bit dirty. It feels wrong. And how are you helping girls and women not feel like it's so wrong? Yeah, well, so I feel like that, my language for it is letting yourself off the hook because sexual trauma is internalized, I, I believe, more than most kinds of trauma, right? Like that shame just goes in so quickly. So as a child, as a teen, even as an adult, the story in our head is, what did I do or what did I not do to make that happen? What was my part in this? How was I complicit? And um, as I hope we all know, sitting here in our wise adult brains, there's nothing we did. Um, sexual assault, rape, sexual harassment, that's opportunistic. All of that shame and blame needs to be on the perpetrator, not within ourselves. So that is, that's really the first thread of trauma therapy is to detach that shame. And Jessalyn, I think I'll say even more that we feel that internalized sense of shame. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard a survivor say, I feel like I walk around with a sign on my head that says, abuse me, or I'm broken, or this has happened to me, right? Like time and time again, we just feel like everyone can see what we can't. A hundred percent. And you know, that's interesting that you say that because I've experienced this myself. And I know talking to other survivors, even outside of this platform, that the odds of them being re-assaulted or re-abused again is so high. And I find that so interesting. And I always felt that, you know, it must, you're, like you just said, it must be something I'm wearing or something I'm, you know, perceiving. And I just find it so interesting that as a victim, we allow this to happen to ourselves over and over. And it brings me back to self-worth and what is taken away from us in those moments. I, I, I have a hard time not believing that there's a, a link in those two. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. So I love that you brought this up probably in one of my first supervision groups at the, at the rape crisis center. So I was an intern and I had to be supervised and I was sitting with other interns and we were hearing the story of this woman who um, was back in for the third time that she was sexually assaulted. So she experienced sexual abuse in childhood then first husband spousal rape. And then she had just experienced another rape. And one of the interns who was so well-meaning, she said, there's no way someone can that be that unlucky. Yeah. And my supervisor said, it has nothing to do with luck. It 
has to do with how much she thinks she deserves, what kind of people she chooses to surround herself with because of what she feels like she's worth. And yes, and boundaries for someone like this who has had these experiences in life, those interpersonal boundaries are going to be really hard to navigate because their whole experience is choose me. I'm worthy. I'll do whatever you say. Just like me. Just choose me. Don't leave me. And when we come from a place like that, we put ourselves in really tricky, not so healthy situations. And that is not a blame on the survivor at all. It's a blame on the system. A hundred percent, you know, a blame on the system. It's a, it's a direct reflection of what we've been through. And I think it's really important for everyone who's listening and anyone who's been through the, anything like that, you know, it doesn't make you unworthy that you've put yourself in these situations. It's lack of boundaries because you didn't know how to have any, you know, you're, you are worthy. And it, hearing what she said, you know, I know that it was well-meaning, but it brought tears to my eyes because it is the stigma around survivors and how we continue to put ourselves in these situations because it's all that we know. It's, you know, it's the only thing we've experienced and it just breaks my heart. It, it does. Um, the system is still so broken and blame is still put on survivors. And, you know, Jocelyn, I'm sure you've read this. We talk so much about how many women are raped we don't talk about how many men rape. Yes. Right? And all these men you talk to, oh my gosh, I would never do that. I would never do that. I've never even come close to that. Yet one in four women experience some kind of sexual trauma. So who is doing this? Because we're not doing it to ourselves. The lens is just still like, let's look at the survivors. Let's look at the survivors. instead. Of yeah, the for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've actually, honestly, I hate to say that I've never thought of it that way. And you're a hundred percent right. Like who is doing this? You're right. Cause all the men seem to be good. And, <laughs> and, and let me be clear, women sexually traumatize people as well. So this yes. is, and non-binary people, but the majority of perpetrators are men. They are. And, you know, I'm coming from the standpoint where I was um, abused by a woman and a man. So I do mm -hmm. know, I do know that it does happen both, but for some reason, the biggest part of the pain for me was from him. And it's because, you know, bigger, um, more powerful. It's, it's this feeling of being taken over. And I think that that in itself can be very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I'm sorry. I just love what you're doing here. And I would love to know, um, you know, what kind of work that you do and the services that you offer. Yeah. So I offer therapy in California, Oregon, and New Jersey. I offer sexual wellness coaching in every other state and internationally. And just so people are clear, um, coaching is more kind of directive, um, goal oriented in the moment. I can't call myself a therapist in any of the other states because therapy is licensed by state, just like a medical practitioner. You're essentially getting the same program. But again, I, I want to be clear. So there's therapy, there's coaching, there's my book, Reclaiming Pleasure, there's the online course, Reclaiming Pleasure. And I hope for your listeners, we're going to start our first group collective soon. So we'll probably have about seven to nine survivors, mostly women. We're going to start out with just some women-centric groups um, that we can do group therapy once a week for 10 weeks. Wow, that's amazing. And can that be done online? Is this virtual? 
This is all online. All of my clients are online. The only time I see people in person is if I'm traveling and I'm in a city that my clients are in, we'll have in person or if they're in my city. And then in the next two weeks, I'm actually going to Mexico to run two retreats, one for survivors and one for couples. So, so that's an option as well. Thinking of all the therapy I've been through and all the work that I've done, I have to say the sexual trauma and trying to live a healthy life outside of that and rebuild my my trust sexually is something that I actually haven't worked a ton on. And I know that if you're married or in your, you're in a healthy relationship, um, you know, it can be a real wall between you and your partner. And I, I think that this is just so important. And, you know, I've dealt with flashbacks, I've dealt with, you know, you freeze up, you the all these things. And it's, it's real, I'm really curious how, how these programs work and what people can expect from working with you. Yeah. So the, the first thing we're going to do before we talk about sex at all. Um, so I just want to kind of ground everybody there. We're not jumping straight into this sexual terrain. We're going to talk about being in your body and embodiment. And Jessalyn, as you just said, are you a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? Are you having flashbacks? How present are you in your daily life? And we'll utilize some techniques to get you to come back in your body. And then talking about shame. From there, we're going to look at control. So where in your life do you feel like you have control? Where are you really rigid? Where are you not rigid enough? Where do you lack interpersonal boundaries? Where can you relinquish control? For a lot of survivors, I find that... um, they have a life that's pretty dialed in. They would be more on the rigid side. So just so you guys understand, everything that I do with a client is going to be mediated through the nervous system. So we're looking at a continuum of rigidity, flexibility is in the middle, and laxity or kind of collapse chaos is on the other end. What we want to do is be right in that middle. So I find most survivors are pretty rigid because they have to keep themselves safe. So their food is dialed in. Their exercise might be overzealous. Um, They might need to have their appearance look perfect. Their home might have to be perfect. Like everything is pretty to a T. So we're going to work on that. Yeah. Where can we really? I know. I, no one can see me, but I'm nodding my head. Like, oh my gosh, you're describing me. Because <laughs> I'm describing me. I'm describing me. So. Um, you know, it's in the book, but, uh, food and exercise and sexual trauma go hand in hand. And that's really unfortunate, but think about the reason that is, is because sexual trauma happens in the body and therefore it has to be healed through the body. And as a survivor, we're like, well, how can I have control of my body? Well, I can certainly control what I eat and how hard I push myself. Yes, that is, I mean, you just described me perfectly. And I've, I I know that so many listening are, are feeling so heard and seen right now. And I think that it is, you know, your book, I want to touch on a little bit too, because it, it really is incredible. And I want, I want listeners to know what they can kind of expect from your book. Sure. A part that I didn't mention, so when I was at the Rape Crisis Center, I decided to write my dissertation on the recovery of sexual health after sexual assault. 
And the reason this is important is because I literally did a grounded theory analysis, deep research into this process, and I came up with three parameters that we need to look at to reclaim pleasure. In 2021, that dissertation turned into the book, Reclaiming Pleasure, and I added a fourth parameter. So the protocol you're going to work through is control, which I just said, maintaining and relinquishing. Second parameter is pleasure. That's going to start with self-pleasure, not you having sex with someone else. The third parameter is connection. That can be sexual or it can just be about you being more, more vulnerable or connecting with friends more, working on family dynamics. And then that fourth parameter is really eroticism, vitality, fantasy, the co-creation of a sexually healthy life. And for some people, that could be asexuality. I am going to choose not to have sex. For other people, it could be polyamory. I'm going to have sex with many people in many different situations. There's no judgment. My goal as a sex therapist or a trauma therapist is not to help you have a lot of sex, kinky sex, crazy sex, hanging from the chandeliers. It's helping you have the sex life that you want. You know, there's something on your website, and I I'm, I may say it wrong, but the gist of it was, you know, healthy sex is any sex that is consensual, essentially, that mm -hmm. it doesn't, there should be no shame behind it. Right. Yeah. So that's, um, it's the foundation of sex positivity. So it's all sex is good sex, as long as it's consensual and pleasurable. So important. So, you know, when I think about when you were working at those clinics and the type of girls that you worked with, you know, at the correction center, what was the common theme between all of them? And, you know, self-worth is one, but how, how do, at the end of this, like, how are they living these healthy lives? Like, what did they, what did they take from everything? Yeah. So I would say, um, self-worth is probably the core of it. And then these, the, most of the women I saw just safety was not prioritized. Like someone standing up for them, someone having their back, someone who really believed in them. Um, so most of them have learned to surround themselves with people who are trustworthy, who do have their back, who they can use their voice with. Right. So it's not just, yes, yes, yes. I'll do whatever you say. It's like, no, I don't like that, but yes, I'll do this. So it's that having boundaries, um, purpose, spirituality for some, you know, just really finding their groove, not what they've been told to do, but really who they feel they are in their bones. Mm -hmm. You know, I imagine um, saying no to people. I know for myself has been something very hard for me to learn. I actually, um, I did an episode about this and saying no made me feel like I was letting someone down, whether it was sexually or otherwise. It's, it's a really hard boundary to learn. And as a trauma survivor, a sexual trauma survivor, we, we feel like that's been taken away from us. We do. Yeah. And what would be your advice to anyone listening on, to how to reclaim that? What's your first step? You made me think of one of my favorite exercises, actually, which is practicing saying no. If you have someone safe at home, a friend, family member, your dog, that's fine. Um, just to practice saying no several times a day or even in front of the mirror. So, Jessalyn, let's just do like 30 seconds. Your only job is to say no. Okay. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Come on. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. 
makes you emotional. Yeah. It is hard to say. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And then the flip side of it, which I won't make you do, but as survivors step more into their power and more into pleasure, I'm the one that says no and they get to say yes. Wow. That's incredible. I I have to say, I never expected it to be, um, to make me so emotional, but it also is there to remind me how powerful saying no is and how much work I still have to do in that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all, um, fawned. So do you remember when I mentioned the four trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, most of sexual trauma, especially perpetrated against girls or, or young women is going to be a fawn response meaning we go along to get along. We say, yes, we're compliant because we don't want to be hurt worse than fighting back, trying to run away. Um, So we're just going to um, stay there and take the abuse. And then we're going to figure out a way to get away from the situation. Fawn fawn can even look like um, a woman is sexually assaulted on a date and her, she goes home and her date text her, Hey, I had fun. That was great. And she texts back. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And he'll say, I'll call you next week. And she'll say, yep, that sounds good. Then she won't text back. She won't pick up the phone. She won't ever go out with him again, but because her boundaries are so, she just hasn't had that practice. She's going to text back because it's the polite thing to do. It's the fawn response. I just want that to go away. So I'm going to say whatever I need to say, and then I'm going to just ignore him. Yeah. How many of us have done that? You know, I love how you describe these situations because I think a lot of times we we are aware kind of that the things we're doing are not healthy. But for you to break it down in situations like that and to think, oh, I've done that. You're right. That is unhealthy. That is fun. That is these things like sometimes in the trauma space, we're so muddled with what we're going through and what we're feeling and we can't pinpoint it. We know it's there, but we can't actually reach it. And to hear someone like you give us those scenarios to say, oh, wow, yeah, I've done that. That makes total sense in my head. I'm not crazy. I'm not this weak person. This is because of what happened to me. You know, it's putting that to it makes you able to grab it and change it, I feel, because it makes it so clear to me. I'm I'm happy to hear that. And I feel like that's another place where I want the system to change. I want the people in power making the decisions about who is convicted, who is not convicted, knowing this information, because you can imagine, so someone, this survivor who texted her perpetrator back, they go to court and his side says, but she said she had fun. So clearly it was consensual. And all of us sitting here say, absolutely not. That was a fawn response. Um, So I love the work I do one-on-one with survivors. And um, I'm really working hard to get kind of to a position, you know, where I, where I can speak to decision makers or at least help people understand the four trauma responses and that um, saying yes was not a willingness to have sex. Wow. I really love and appreciate that you were trying to change that. It's it's so true because I think a lot of times survivors don't want to come forward because 
you know, of the fear of not being believed, or he's more powerful, or they'll think I deserved it. And it, you know, a holding it in doesn't help the situation. This, these people are going to go on to abuse and never be held accountable. And what it does to you internally and your body and how it changes the trajectory of your life. Like these stigmas need to change. You're right. The system is broken and it needs to change. And it is so important that people like you are standing up to try and help educate on what these things are. Yeah. What these responses are. Absolutely. And the bullshit, excuse my language, um, that survivors false report, or they just do this, I don't, I don't even know, for money, for a claim. It's simply not true. The reporting process is so horrific that no one would choose to go through it. And that needs to change too. The reporting process should not be so horrific. It's how it is now. But um, we all know most survivors don't report. No, they don't. And it's heartbreaking. And, you know, since launching this podcast in July, the amount of women specifically that have reached out to me to say, thank you so much for sharing your story. I've never told anybody. It kills me. And I, you know, I was forced to tell when I was a child because my abusers were caught. But when I think about that, I would have never told either. I would have never told, and this needs to change. We need to create safe spaces for victims to feel heard, to feel validated, and you are doing that work. You're doing amazing work. Well, well, thank you. I, you, you are doing that work. Thank you for sharing your story. Even I understand that you were forced to, but that's it's so it's so hard. I can re- imagine the circumstances around that. It's just it's painful. It is hard. Yeah, you know thinking about everyone who's listening, and I know that there's a lot of sexual trauma survivors that listen to my podcast, I would love to know what is your biggest advice to anyone who's currently navigating a sexual trauma experience? So the first thing is what you just pointed to is tell your story. Because Jessalyn, if you had never told anyone, there is a chance you would have ended up with symptoms that perhaps you don't have now because you didn't have to hold them all in. So I don't know if you remember chapter six in my book, it looks at hidden wounds and there's emotional, physical, sexual, and relational. And there are these big lists that are not comprehensive at all. There's more than that. But I promise when you look at these lists, you're going to see yourself. But what happens when we hold our stories in is those symptoms keep coming out. So telling, telling our story is so powerful. Um, this can be with a therapist. That would be wonderful. A support group, that would be fantastic. A trusted friend, a family member, clergy, like whatever your deal is, just please don't keep it to yourself. Um, a Reclaiming Pleasure also has a lot of resources in the back of the book. So if you need some places to find local resources, uh, hopefully that will help. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it's so important. And, you know, as someone who experienced it, I mean, that chapter, I experienced so much physical health problems because of what I was not processing and what I was holding in. And I can say after sharing on episode one and two of this podcast, I share my story. And after doing that, I, I can't even tell you what it did to me physically. How do you feel different? I'm just curious. I no longer am sick every day. I think to the validation from people, um, I spent a lot of years feeling like it, wondering if it did or did not happen to me because, you know, my family didn't speak about it. So as an adult, I was like, did I make this up in my head? And, you know, hearing 
strangers come to me and share their stories and validate what I had been through was so empowering. And, you know, I sleep better. I'm not sick every day. I don't have a stomachache. I thought I was lactose intolerant. I'm not lactose intolerant. Like there's things that have completely changed in my physical health that are really, really vital to who I am now. Mm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell your story dare to empathize with other survivors, mostly with yourself. Um, you did the right thing. And I know you did because you're here sitting in front of me. Um, and then the third thing we can do is have great sex. Like there's no bigger fuck you to the system than survivors having great sex. Yes, I love that. And I know there's so many survivors out there listening that can't imagine what it would be like to be comfortable to be able to have great sex. And, you know, I want them to just hear from you. It is possible. You've worked with people, with other survivors who are able to live that kind of life. Absolutely. And it's not a quick fix at all. And great sex, that is subjective. That is up to you, whatever that looks like. And again, first, we're going to start with yourself and getting to know your body and feeling safe in your body. And then if you're comfortable bringing a partner or partners in, but again, this is a slow, deliberate process with a foundation of control. Mm -hmm. And you know what I love about what you're doing is actually making it safe within yourself and not adding anybody else. It's important to really feel that on your own and feel like it's okay and feel safe. Yeah. And just so you know, um, you could be a survivor that the only, like, you can't even look at yourself naked in a mirror. I've had plenty of those clients and patients where that we're starting with just looking at themselves from like the chest up and then seeing their breasts and then seeing their full body. And then maybe for the first time in their lives, looking at their vulva, um, and then, you know, we can move on to, can you put lotion on your body after the shower? Everybody's at a different stage. This is not me asking you to masturbate on the, you know, in the first month. You know, and I think these conversations are so important too, because as you're, as you're describing all of this, I see different versions of myself, as you're saying it, not able to look in the mirror, had never looked at your body, you know, and I always thought there was something wrong with me. And I, I think these conversations are so important for everyone listening that if that's the stage you're in, there's nothing wrong with you. It's what it took away from you. And it is possible. And, you know, sexual trauma is so complex. And what it does to us, I don't think a lot of us even understand. And we mistake things being wrong with us for what happened to us. And it's, I love that you are creating this space. I've said it so many times, but I just feel so seen with you. And I feel you know, less of an alien with the things that I've been through. And it's really important. And you're right. It's not an overnight fix and it's going to take time. Yeah. But do you, I don't know if you remember. So the kind of the trajectory that we're working through is awareness, understanding behavior change. So the first part is just, I am aware that I don't like to look at myself in the mirror. Help me understand what is it about me that's happened to me that makes it hard to look at myself in the mirror. And only from that place can we say, okay, today I'm going to look at myself in the mirror for 10 seconds. Next week, I'm going to work up to 20 seconds. That's how it goes. So with a foundation of awareness and understanding where it's more about what happened to us, not anything that's wrong with us. I love that. You know, I would love to know from all the women you've worked with and everything you've experienced and where you're at now and helping, what would you tell your younger self? What is one piece of advice that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. Um, a lot of things. 
I wish I had connected more. I was so closed down for so many years. Like it was just too scary to let anyone in. Even people that I knew were safe. I just lived such a rigid, small life. Like if you had looked in at me, everything looked fine, but it was not fine. Yeah. So I would have told myself to to trust my judgment with the people that I knew were safe. And that has continued to be true. Um, and to step out of that little tiny world a little sooner. Cause I feel like I missed a lot. Oh yeah. I feel, I feel you so deeply on that one. And you know, you said something earlier in the podcast about you, I can't remember that what you use to describe yourself, but you, you really base on what you feel. Somaticizer. Yes. Okay. So soma equals body. So somaticizer is just someone that leads with their body. And I feel like my brain is just like, do, 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 you know, my body's screaming, something's wrong. Something's wrong. <laughs> I am so that way. I am exactly that way. I do not lead with my mind. I definitely lead with my body. And, you know, I teach that to my daughter all the time, you know, that feeling listen, like I think for so many years, we've shut those things down. Don't feel this, like stop feeling, think about what you're doing. And I really believe that our bodies tell us so much and which you get into in your book, which I think is just so incredible. Oh, thank you. Yes, it is. It is our, our greatest gift and being able to be in it. And again, this is not perfect. There's plenty of times I'm still not in my body and dysregulated, but the healing is, oh, now I've got this tool and this tool and this tool, I'm going to do my best to come back in my body, regulate my nervous system. I might only be able to get it to this point today, but it's better than being, you know, often an anxiety attack or panic attack or super depressed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a final question, you mentioned these retreats that you're doing, and I would love if you would share more and where people can learn more. Are you doing more? Yeah. So I hope next year there will be more retreats. Um, there's only, um, it's a, it's a fairly small offering right now, but I'd like to do more in the States. You're based in Canada. Yes, we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these are in Mexico, but I'd like to do some based in the United States, even Canada. I'm from Rochester originally, so I'm your neighbor. You know, yeah, Toronto and in that area. Um, everything you're going to find on my website, which is drhollyrichmond.com, just D-R, Holly Richmond. I put a lot on Instagram at drhollyrichmond. Um, yeah, those are going to be the best two places. And again, I'm hoping this group coaching collective rolls out in January 2024. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I cannot wait to hear more about it. And thank you so much, Dr. Holly Richmond, for being here. This has been an incredible conversation. Oh, Jessalyn, thank you again. It's been really nice getting to know you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.